Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Well, how we doing, everyone? Good. <laughs> I uh, want to start off with a pop quiz real quick, just do something a little bit fun to see how much uh, we have in common. When we do this, you're going to find out a lot about the person you're sitting next to. But I want everyone across all of our campuses, online even, go ahead and stick your right hand in the air, all five fingers extended. If you don't have five fingers, that's okay. You're just going to get out a little bit quicker than everyone else. And I want you to put a finger down every time the answer to my question is yes. Okay, you guys get it? So put a finger down if you've ever read an entire book in one day. There are some fingers that went down. If you wear socks to bed, put a finger down. Okay. If uh, you laugh when a small child falls over. That's all of you. So, okay. Uh, If you've ever replayed a song because it didn't make you sad enough the first time. Anyone? No? Um, If you've ever broken a bone. We got lots of fingers up still here. Uh, If you sleep with a stuffed animal still. Okay. If uh, you've ever apologized to an object after you've bumped into it. Like, sorry, trash can. (laughs) Yes. God, if you've ever been to a Super Bowl, put a finger down. Ever been to a Super Bowl that the Bengals have won? Oh, that's that's never, never mind. Um, We still have lots raised. All right. Put a finger down if you cannot breathe underwater. Yeah, if you're sitting down, if your hand's in the air. Okay, I'm going to get everyone on this one. We're going to change the tone a little bit. But put a finger down if you've ever been hurt by someone, rejected, taken advantage of, betrayed, let down, all the hands are down. I knew that took a weird emotional turn, but this is where we're here now. Um, Yeah, if there's one thing that we have in common, it's that all of us have been hurt at least once in life. And I don't know about you, but some hurts hurt more than others, don't they? Like when the person that hurts you is a person that was close to you. Like they're the last person in the world you think should have hurt you. Or when that person hurts someone that is close to you. You're like, if you would have just gone after me, we would have been okay. But that's my kid. That's my spouse. Or if the person is a repeat offender, it's not the first time they've done it. Or if they weren't apologetic, they don't think it's a big deal. Maybe they even planned it, you know. There are some things that you want to let go, but that just won't let go of you. You have those in your life. Some things that you would love to forgive, but you just know you're probably never going to be able to forget. So what do we do in those situations? Or a better question would be, what does the Bible instruct us to do in those situations? Because our culture gives us a clear answer, doesn't it? It says, make them pay, get even, get back, get revenge. But is that really the wise move? Is that really the wise thing to do for the offender, the one that offended us, or for us, the ones that have been offended? And I think we all know that that's not the wise answer. The Bible says over and over again that we are supposed to forgive. But I think very few of us know exactly what that term forgive 
means and what the authors mean when they use that term in the Bible. And I think even fewer of us know how to practically walk this out. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you're a note taker, I would encourage you um, to, to bring out a physical Bible, underline some verses. If you don't have a pen and paper, you can fire up the Hope app and there's a whole note section in the sermon area of that. But the first thing that we have to clear up before I kind of dive too deep is this myth that I found a lot of Christians believe, and I'm not sure why, but it's, it's not true and I hear it all the time. And it's the myth that forgiveness always leads to reconciliation. It's the myth that in order to forgive someone, you have to continue the relationship with them. And I want you to know that's not true. Reconciliation for most cases, not all, should be a goal. But a lot of times it's not possible. And the Bible says that you can forgive, like biblically walk through the whole process of forgiveness and still not be reconciled to the other person on the other side of that. There's actually an example of this in Acts chapter 13. It's when the church is growing like crazy and there's all these missionaries going out and kind of the, the center of activity is this town called Antioch. Well, one day all these wise leaders of the church are there and they're praying and it says this, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. And so Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. And John Mark went with them as their assistant. Now note the Spirit only asked to send two guys. I want you to send Paul and I want you to send Barnabas. But Barnabas thought it would be okay to invite his cousin along, John Mark. And John Mark is the dude who wrote the book of Mark, the second book in the New Testament. No big deal. Well, they set out on this missionary journey. And when they get to their very first island, it's no joke. They, they actually have this crazy encounter with a demonic sorcerer like black magic and things get tense. They're not sure they're going to escape with their lives. And so they do, uh, they get on a boat, they sail to the second, uh, the second island. And as soon as they dock, John Mark's like, okay, this is not what I signed up for. Like I thought we're going to be doing vacation Bible schools, maybe some like handbell action, you know, not like evil magicians trying to kill us. And so I'm out and he bounced. He, he deserted them. He abandoned them. He heads back to Antioch. Well, Paul and Barnabas, they finish their trip. They go to four more islands. They go back to Antioch. They celebrate all that the Lord has done, work out some theological stuff there. They stay there for a while. And eventually Paul's like, hey, Barnabas, let's go back to these cities that we started all these churches and just see how they're doing. Acts 15, two chapters later, Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. So Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. And then he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. And guess what? Paul and Barnabas, they never do ministry again, which is sad because they made a really good team. We never hear about Barnabas again. We actually do hear about Paul Mark. As Paul's dying, he writes a letter to Timothy. And at the very end, he says, Timothy, can you send John Mark? I'm kind of lonely. So they, they patch stuff up, but, but not, not Paul and Barnabas. They come to an unreconcilable place in their relationship. Paul does not trust John Mark. And he's like, if I'm going to be risking my life for the gospel, I need someone that I can trust. 
And Barnabas is like, well, just, he just keeps pushing it. Let's take him, let's take him, let's take him. He keeps kind of pushing the envelope and he won't let it go. And so they, they separate. And both of these men are filled with the Spirit. Both of these men are God honoring with their lives. Both of these men are incredible ministers of the gospel. And the Bible doesn't say that this is wrong. Now, the Bible doesn't say every single thing you see is good or bad, but you can usually tell by the results if it was sinful or not. And God blesses both their ministries. So write this down. Forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation. Remember how the Spirit uh, appointed two men, Paul and Barnabas, and Barnabas just decided to invite John Mark. I love how one pastor puts it. He says, there's two types of people in your life. There's people that God has placed in your life for a reason, people that he has assigned to your life. And then there's some folk that you just let in. And there will be many times in your life where you have to figure out, am I going to reconcile here? Do I need to continue in a close relationship with this person? Or is it time to cut this joker out of my life? And listen, the Bible says that either one can be a valid, wise, righteous option that you are allowed to choose as a Christ follower. And I could quote you so many verses, but Proverbs 14, 7, stay away from fools for you won't find knowledge on their lips. The company we keep can affect our lives. And this is so hard, especially when it comes to family, right? Because you'll hear, but we're family, we're kin. Blood is thicker than water. Mm -mm. We might have played together at grandma's house as kids, but that doesn't mean I need to play around with your mess at this point in my life, okay? So we don't always have to reconcile. Sometimes that would be unwise. Should be the goal in probably 90% of situations. But we always have to forgive. And Jesus talks about this all the time. He brings up this topic of forgiveness 38 separate occasions in just the four gospels. That's not to mention all the stuff in the Old Testament and the epistles. Um, you probably know the most famous verse, Matthew 18, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? He says seven times. And Peter thinks he's being super, super gracious because the Pharisees had a law three times and you're out. So Peter's like, how often should I forgive? More than double the amount that the Pharisees say? Verse 22, no, not seven times. And Peter's like, yeah, I thought that was a little far. And Jesus replied, it is 70 times seven. And he doesn't mean 490 times and you hit 491, you're out. He just means always. And for Jesus, this is an urgent matter. In Mark eleven twenty five, 25, it says, but when you're praying, first forgive anyone that you are holding a grudge against. Some translations say, if while you're praying, you remember that someone has hurt you, forgive them so that your father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Notice two things. You can forgive someone who hasn't asked for forgiveness. Jesus doesn't say that when you're praying and you realize that someone's hurt you, go hang out with them until they ask to be forgiven. So you can't know. He just says, do it right then and there. And then secondly, Jesus always does this. He always connects our father's willingness to forgive us with our willingness to forgive others. And I don't fully understand it, but Matthew 6 says this. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. And that's a strong verse. You see it all the time. That messes up some of the theology that I have, but that's what Jesus says. In fact, he says, he tells this really, really startling parable right after he says, no, no, not, 70 time, not seven times, but 70 times seven. The very next verse, Matthew 18, 23, he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. He needs to collect some debts. 
So in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. And he couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity and he released him and forgave his debts. So this guy leaves, he's skipping down the sidewalk. Says when this man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. And his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Same speech, be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor, the dude who had been forgiven, wouldn't wait. And he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And listen to this. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I don't even need to elaborate. Like we can just tell Jesus takes this forgiveness thing seriously. And we can see part of the reason why is because one of the things that God hates the most is hypocrisy. And how hypocritical is it for me who has had every single one of my sins forgiven, past, present, and future, every bad thing I've done or will ever do? How hypocritical is it for me who's literally just covered in the free grace and mercy of God to refuse to forgive someone else of one bad action? or one bad word misspoken, or one act of broken trust. Like if, if I'm swimming in a pool of forgiveness, surely I can offer you a cup. I can offer you a teaspoon. But one, one little phrase always stands out to me in that parable. It's in verse 34, the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured. I don't know if you've ever held on to unforgiveness, but that's a pretty good description of what it's like, isn't it? You're imprisoned, you can't get out, you're locked in and you're just tortured by anger and jealousy and bitterness and hatred and judgment. And what I've learned in my life is that forgiving someone isn't primarily for their benefit. Forgiving someone's primarily for my benefit. Um, someone said that, that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to, to die. Um, someone else said that, that forgiveness is letting the prisoner go free and figuring out that you were the prisoner all along. So we have to forgive. So how? Well, we have to understand uh, what forgiveness actually is. And if you look at every single instance where the Bible uses this term forgiveness in the Old Testament and New Testament, the picture that starts to emerge is that, that the Bible, first and foremost, this word forgiveness is a legal transaction. Everyone say legal transaction. That's going to make sense in a minute. But what that means is it is not a feeling. It certainly will not start off as a feeling. Maybe one day you'll actually feel the forgiveness that you've given someone, but it's not primarily that. It's not this magic sentence that fixes everything. I forgive you. Boom. Everything's perfect. Anyone married in here? That's not how it works, right? It's a legal transaction. So it's a legal transaction where you choose to cancel the debt that the other person owes you. That's all forgiveness is, part of it. If I were like, if I were to get a speeding ticket, which would never happen because half the churches in Wake County go to Hope and I can, no, I'm just kidding. Um, 
If I were to like go 25 over in like a school zone or something, I don't know, and I get a ticket, $1,500, I don't know. And so the cop says, hey, show up to traffic court at this date. So I show up. That judge has two options, right? He can say, all right, you were going over. I'm going to enforce this. You need to pay me the debt. Or he can say, sir, I, I remember seeing your license plate in the picture and I noticed the Kansas City Chiefs logo in the corner. I'm a Mahomes fan myself, so I'm going to cancel this. And uh, he, could, he could legally just erase that debt. He could say debt paid in full or debt released. And that would be a legal transaction where by law, I am free of that debt legally. Now, this is where I think a lot of pastors stop the metaphor. Forgiveness is just forgiving, is, is canceling someone's debt. That does not go far enough. You're gonna have an incomplete picture. But that part is true. That Paul understood this when he wrote in Ephesians 4. He said, get rid of all bitterness rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. So take that unforgiveness, spit it out, get rid of it. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, and here's the key, forgiving one another how? Just as God through Christ, everyone say through Christ, that's the key, has forgiven you. So forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Well, how did he forgive us through Christ? Well, in part, he canceled the debt. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Because of our sin, every single one of us stands before God guilty. We stand before God a debtor and we owe him an eternal debt that we could never pay back. It's not 1,500 bucks. It is our very lives. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, when we reach out for that free forgiveness, God takes that debt and he rips it up. He says, debt paid in full, not guilty, and he legally cancels that debt. He removes us from the consequences of our sin. And part of forgiveness is where God asks you to do the same for another person. And this is really hard. And the reason it's so hard, because depending on how you've been hurt, that's gonna, that's gonna go against our inner sense of justice, isn't it? It offends our, our inner sensibility of justice. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair that God should command you to let them off the hook after all the pain and after all the harm that they've caused. And what you have to understand is that you're not letting them off the hook of anything. You're just taking that duty to carry out justice that duty to, to balance the cosmic scales of right and wrong, you're taking that duty out of your hands, which it was never supposed to be there, and you're putting it back in the hands of God. There is a judge, and one day every single person is going to be judged for the works that they do in the flesh. Right? You're just not him. First Peter 2 says this, Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he did what? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. They're not going to get away with this scot-free, maybe. But all that's up to you, God. So forgiveness is not saying what they did is okay. It's just saying, I'm going to let God handle it and I'm not going to continue to suffer because of it. So the first step is you cancel that debt. But here's where we get to a kind of fuller and richer understanding of forgiveness. Listen, have you ever thought about this? Why was God able to forgive us of our sins? How was he able to remain just and holy and righteous and still refuse to collect our debt? Because don't get it confused. He can't just act as if it never happened. 
He can't just sweep it under the rug. That's not what he did. He didn't just snap his fingers and make the sin go away. No, no, no. The reason that he was able to cancel our debt is because Jesus paid it for us. He still collected. It's just that we didn't die. Jesus died. So here's the full definition of forgiveness. And this will make sense in a second. We forgive someone by canceling the debt they owe us and paying it ourselves. We forgive someone by canceling the debt they owe us and paying for ourselves. See, forgiveness is costly. If it doesn't cost you something, it's not forgiveness. Here's a much better metaphor. Let's say you're hanging out at home Sunday night, 6.30, watching the one-legged Mahomes destroy the Cincinnati Bengals. That's my last reference. I'm excited about this weekend. And your friend calls up and says, hey, I'm going to come over and watch the game with you. And so you're making something in the kitchen. All of a sudden you hear a loud crash and you look up and you find out that your kitchen, that your, your living room wall, the front, the front wall of your house is now in your kitchen. And there's a Honda Accord where your coffee table used to be. And your friend has crashed his car in, into your house. In that moment, you have three options, not just two like the judge. The judge can just cancel it or make you pay it. You have three options. One, you can say, hey, dude, Hope you brought your checkbook because you're fixing all this. You can make them pay. And that's an option that you have when someone hurts you as well. You can choose to make them pay. You can shame them and you can punish them and you can make them suffer until that they, you think that they've suffered the same amount that you've made them suffer. But here's the deal. And there's people in this room that will tell you this. No matter how much you make them grovel, no matter how much you make them hurt, they're never going to be able to pay a fraction of that debt. I've talked with people who have been through traumatic situations and, and the people that hurt them were arrested and they're in jail. And they say, you know, that, that's great. They're off the street. They can't hurt anyone else, but that hasn't paid me back anything. That does nothing to heal or replace what they stole or what they destroyed. So you can demand that they pay, but they're not going to be able to. Two, you can let them off the hook and you can cancel their debt and then you can just leave your house the way it is. So you don't pay, I don't pay, that's a miserable existence, isn't it? You got to shovel the snow off your living room carpet in the winter. You got to watch TV in the rain. There's woodland creatures all around. Like that's not good. You can't live that way. The third option is you pay the debt yourself. You say, hey, no big, well, it was a big deal, but just be careful next time. And then you call the repair company and you discuss the damage and you get them out to do the estimate. You schedule the construction and then you pay them in installments over the course of a few months or a few years. You pay the debt they owe over time. And that's what biblical forgiveness is. You don't just cancel the debt. You pay it back yourself. How? Well, through small but powerful and intentional acts over the course of weeks and probably months and probably years where you refuse to hurt or harm them back. You refuse to get revenge. If you've decided that reconciliation is an option, that means that you don't bring up what they did in the future. It means that you're polite, you're cordial, you're kind, how did Paul put it, tenderhearted. You refuse to be more demanding and controlling with them than you are with others. You refuse to avoid them or give them the cold shoulder. It means that if you said that reconciliation is probably not the wise thing, well, that's okay. You, it still means that you refuse to gossip about them. You refuse to bring up what they did with other people. You don't attack their character or their integrity or their reputation. It means you refuse to dwell on that situation. 
You don't replay those tapes in your head. And when you catch yourself, you say, stop it. You refuse to actively keep that sense of loss or hurt active or fresh. It means you pray for their good. It means you don't rejoice when they suffer. And it means that when you do any of these things, you ask God to forgive you as you slowly walk down the path of learning how to forgive that person. It means embarking on a journey of slowly paying the debt they owe you through small actions for however long it takes because that's how God forgave us in Jesus. I mean, (laughs) are there some things that God could bring up in your quiet time with him tomorrow that he just doesn't? Yeah. That sin again? It's the 400th time this month. Doesn't say that. Are there some blessings that he could probably justly withhold from us that he doesn't like? You made so many mistakes in your marriage. You want me to bless it now? He doesn't do that. Like after spending a lot of our lives rebelling against him, spitting in his face, telling him no, pushing him away, there's probably a certain amount of pain or suffering that I deserve, right? But what are are his plans for us? Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And that's the example of what we're called to do. And it's not easy. It's costly. But it's worth it. And over time, what you're going to find is that all that bitterness that you feel right now, you'll feel it less and less. Every single morning, you're probably waking up thinking about that person. You'll think of them less and less until one day you just won't anymore. And uh, if you go through this process week after week after week after month after month after year, you'll just wake up one morning and like, oh, I'm free. I'm free. And it's so powerful when we do this because not only are we free, but we show the world um, the forgiveness that our Heavenly Father has to offer. I thought about closing with some personal stories, but um, there's a public act of forgiveness that has been burned into my brain since 2019. And you might not remember this. Actually, a lot of you probably do. It was September 6, 2018. It was in Dallas. An off-duty police officer um, named Amber Geiger went into um, what she thought was her apartment. It wasn't. It was the floor above it. And uh, she thought there was an intruder. It wasn't. It was 26-year-old, both of them, John. And she shot him dead right then and there. And um, she was arrested. She was put on trial. And at the end of it, in 2019, they found her um, guilty of certain things. And uh, she was sentenced to 10 years of prison. And uh, on the very last day of trial, or near the end, um, her f- the family members of both of them, Sean, got an opportunity to get up on the stand and address Amber Geiger, the one who had shot and killed their son, their brother. And um, his brother, Brant, his younger brother, got up and said something I've never forgotten. So I'm just going to play this, um, and then I'll come and close this out and pray. I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just,
I hope you go to God with all what all the guilt all the things the bad things you may have done in the past each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do if you truly are sorry I know I can speak for myself I I forgive you and I know if you go to God and ask him he will forgive you And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, and that's what people said when that video came out. And even those of us who have experienced that free forgiveness, still you're like, the murder of your brother. Doesn't make any sense. That's crazy. Neither does what God did for us in Jesus. Doesn't make any sense. Being willing to take on human skin and die for people that hated them and pushed them away. Free, unmerited forgiveness. And in some crazy way, he invites us in to showcasing and reciprocating that scandalous, limitless grace. So who is it? Who's the person you need to set free so that you can go free yourself? I know you're saying, but you don't know my story. <laughs> you don't understand. I don't. But God does, and he still asks you to. And what I'd say is this. Um, all of you have to start the process of walking down the path of forgiveness, but you're never meant to walk it alone. 
So some hurts, you're going to need help. You can't do it alone. And we have some amazing opportunities at our church for those who have experienced abuse or trauma. We have classes meant just for forgiveness. And in a moment, your online host or your host at one of your campuses will tell you exactly how you can get in touch with those ministries. But right now, who is it? And at least start the process. So let me pray. Father, would you give us courage? Would you remind us of the ocean of forgiveness that we're swimming in? Father, even if we don't want to now, would you allow us just to be obedient? I don't want to, but I'm going to obey. And would you bless that? So I pray for you to break down walls, for you to do something powerful. If there's those in this room that just need to sit afterwards, you're free to do that. You want to go find a pastor to pray with? You're free to do that. But don't leave this service without doing business with God. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus, the one who paid our debt, we pray. Amen.